Hello and welcome to today's episode of Waging War. My name is Dakota. Uh, this is episode three. Uh, if you followed along for any length of time, you will notice that there is a pretty substantial gap between episodes two and three. So I'll start off by just apologizing for that. Life has been pretty hectic. In the middle of that, got to go to Israel for a couple of weeks as well. That was a awesome once-in-a-lifetime trip. We'll have an episode on Light and Lion, uh, the podcast that I do with my buddy Chris. We'll have an episode of that coming out from the time of recording today. Uh, it'll be in about a week. Um, by the time this comes out, maybe it's already been released. So go check that out. Um, also, go check out Light and Lion as a whole. Um, that has been where most of my free time has been dedicated. We talk about all kinds of topics and Right now, we're in a series called Critical Questions, where we're answering some questions that oftentimes Christians are either too afraid to ask or not sure how to answer. So we're kind of just diving headfirst into that. Uh, we just released an episode on doubt that I think, just for my own edification, was really beneficial and answered a lot of questions that I had, uh, both in my study and in the conversation as a whole. So today's episode is going to be called Waging War Against Earthly Treasures. You might notice that the audio quality is going to be a little bit diminished than uh, what you can expect going forward or maybe what you've heard in the first couple episodes. The reason for that is because I am currently recording this on my phone via the Voice Memos app in the interest of getting these out as fast as possible um, and, and doing that in a timely fashion. So just bear with me there. Uh, going forward, the episodes should be, uh, the quality should be pretty significantly increased. So uh, but hopefully it's not distracting today. We'll, uh, we're just going to go ahead and jump right into it. So the idea for this episode came as I was reading Acts 3, 1 through 10. I'm going to go ahead and read that here real quick, and then we'll go ahead and just dive right in. The Again, the, the overarching kind of theme and idea here is that we are waging war against earthly treasures. So Acts 3, 1 through 10 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him right by, I'm sorry, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit at the be- sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. So on first read, there is no clear connection between this story and earthly treasures. Um, and when I first read that through, that wasn't really something that popped into my head. But as I kind of studied it, and I've been trying to, a little bit of a detour here, but in my quiet time, you know, as I'm, as I'm opening the word, uh, I typically like to do mine in the morning. I think it's a really good way to start my day. But as I'm opening it, I've been really just trying to go verse by verse and not just try to read through an entire chapter or a couple chapters a day, just in the interest of getting as much content as possible. Rather, I'm kind of digging into each specific verse to really unpack it. And in doing that has provided a lot more kind of just clarity in what the content is saying specifically, as well as understanding that there is such a depth of of meat and richness in each of these sentences, in each of these verses that we could miss if we try to go too quickly through it. Um, So in this story, as we're we're going through it, I'm kind of going to go just a little bit at a time here. 
um, kind of like we just talked about. So we are the beggar in the story. That's the way that I kind of see it. And, and what I don't want to do is I don't want to make the mistake of eisegesis. So exegesis is where you take the text and you look at it and you you read it for what it says and, and you understand it that way. Eisegesis is where you insert yourself into the text. So an example of a poor you know exegesis or eisegesis in this scenario would be reading the story of David and Goliath. And when you read that, you insert yourself into the text as David and your fears and your, you know, your boss and your, you, you know, whatever, your debt, that is your Goliath. Um, that's a really poor way of, of viewing that story. If we really want to properly uh, put ourselves into that text, I'd say we probably more closely resemble the scared Israelites who were cowering uh, behind the hill. Um, so, what I want to do here is I want to kind of see ourselves sort of in that in that same light of we are the beggar in this scenario. And I kind of want to kick it to us that way. So we come to God with our requests. And oftentimes our requests are based on earthly desires. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that our desires are bad per se, but we tend to oftentimes base our, the the vast majority of our prayers are based on earthly things. So we believe that if we pray for something, we're entitled to it. I mean, how many times have we made the the mistake or ha- had the misconception, not just ourselves, but really our entire culture of believing that if we bring something to God, then we are entitled to receive that thing. I think I've, I've I mean, even more poorly, I've seen this played out in the idea of like manifestation, where if you put something out into the world, you're going to get it back. Um, and that is just so just bonkers. Um, there is nothing truthful about any of that. And regardless of what I feel about something, that does not mean that it's going to come back to me. Um, so many of us have fallen for the lie that God wants us to be happy on this earth using our own definition of happy. And that's really dangerous because God is outside of time. He can see the beginning all the way to the end. Whereas we, in our human limitations, are stuck within the confines of time. So we look at situations and scenarios and we think that we can kind of determine sort of the, whether it's good or bad based on what we can see, right? So we, we go through a situation that we think is bad um, and, and we perceive it in a way and we're, we're maybe continually asking God to, to deliver us from the situation which is not a, a bad prayer at all. That's, that's a great prayer. And God wants us to take those desires and requests to him. But we have to understand that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And maybe what we perceive as something that's bad is actually being used for our good. And that goes back to the idea of good or, or you know, what we would perceive as good or how we would perceive being happy. There's nothing in all of scripture that says that the reason that God came down from heaven in the form of man, Jesus, fully God, fully man, and lived a perfect, sinless life, went to the cross and died for us so that we could be happy on this planet, in this world. Um, in fact, the opposite is is seen really more frequently in that we can expect that we're going to face all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of pushback, um, consequences for following the truth of the gospel. So, Happiness is such a constantly shifting thing. It's a roller coaster. And so I would caution the the listener and, and myself as well to really be careful of, of seeking out happiness and instead seek out joy. Um, and that could be a whole other episode in and of itself, but seek out joy in Christ because 
he is the only one that is unchanging. God is the only one that is unchanging. So if we find our joy in him, we can know that regardless of what's happening around us, our joy will always be complete. It'll always be full and it will be unchanging. When we look for joy or happiness in the things of this world, every single time they will let us down. So I'm going to go to some quotes from some well-known pastors. I'm not going to drop the names here. You can look them up if you want to, but um, the first one here says, God wants to increase you financially by giving you promotions, fresh ideas, and creativity. I would be very curious to see if if the the pastor who who had this quote if he could in context point us to a passage in the bible that tells us that god wants to increase us financially give us promotions fresh ideas and creativity granted you could take a single verse and and, and twist it and contort it to to fit really anything i mean the bible is a very large book in context is the key here and I think if we are viewing God as a way to get to financial prosperity, uh, promotions, things like that, that is a really, really improper and just sad view of God. Another quote here says, God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destiny he has laid out for us. To that quote, I would ask, what is the destiny that he has laid out for us? And if the destiny includes me being called to go serve on the mission field in, you know, in another country, maybe where they're very against the gospel and that destiny ends in my death. Are we excited about that destiny? Um, you know, is our, is our goal and desire to fulfill the, the purpose and the mission that God has called us to? And is our desire to glorify him and all that we think, say, and do? Or is our desire to increase our own selves, our own you know, worth our own identity or in, in, uh, glorify ourselves, essentially. You know, we, all, we always hear about, you know, these, this prosperity kind of gospel. It always talks about, you know, walk into your destiny. Why is the destiny always something that we would perceive as good? I mean, that, that's kind of just a question that, that we need to ask ourselves and wrestle with. If our perception of why we're here on this earth is so that we can get stuff and we can accumulate and we can have happiness and success and creativity and all those things, I would just caution the listener to very very carefully go back through the word, uh, read it for what it says and not for our, our biases and kind of what we want it to say. Uh, a final quote here says, remind yourself what the Bible says about money each and every day. You don't have to live in debt or in fear of what the economy might do. Stand and be in prayer for financial breakthrough and believe God for the increase in victory you need in your finances today. Now, there are some truths hidden in that quote, and I'm, I'm going to you know, I'm, I'm not going to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater here. So remind yourself what the Bible says about money each and every day. That's a great, great call for us. So the Bible, what does it say about money, right? We have to ask ourselves that. Uh, well, one very clear thing, it says, you cannot worship God and money for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So we see a constant theme in the Bible that our treasure, wherever that is, that's where our heart will be. And if we try to have our treasure and our money, then we'll find, as the Bible says, you will either hate one or love the other. You can't serve two masters. So we can't serve God and serve money. And if our heart is with our money, then we will be serving our money. And of course, by by way of our time, our, our thoughts, all of that, we only have a limited amount, right? So if I'm spending all my time thinking about money, then that's less time thinking about the things of God, things that will actually matter for eternity, um, you don't have to live in debt or in fear of what the economy might do. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, if you put place your 
faith and trust in Christ and you trust him to meet every need, uh, you know, I want to underscore the word need here, not every single want, but to meet every need, then we don't have to live in fear because God's in control. He's sovereign. He will, he will meet our needs. Uh, stand and be in prayer for financial breakthrough. Now, this is a, a buzz word or buzz phrase, this breakthrough, this idea of breakthrough that, that your time of success is coming. There really isn't anywhere in the Bible that, that this idea of breakthrough is, is seen in this context. When I think of breakthrough, my desire for breakthrough is breakthrough in regards to conquering sin, conquering fear, conquering, you know, these, these, these are the lies of the enemy and not by my own doing or anything that I could do, but by the Holy Spirit within me. And this is a process of sanctification. If you're going to use the word breakthrough, I think that would probably be the most applicable or God honoring way to use it. When you're talking about financial breakthrough, if we're expecting that we're just going to wake up one day and our bank account suddenly going to be vastly larger because the breakthrough has come, we're going to be waiting a long time. And again, goes back to we have a really improper view of God and our relation to him. Um, and then the final sentence here says, we have to believe God for the increase and in victory you need in your finances today. Um, I don't think we we need victory in our finances. I'm just going to say that. Obviously, we have needs. We have things that, you know, we need to have food. We need clothes uh, on our back, things like that. And, and the Bible says that God knows that you need all these things. Um, but seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So I think the victory that we need is victory against sin, victory against the flesh, victory against pride, victory against lust. You know, this whole podcast, the idea of waging war against sin, it's it's kind of elevating the things that we need victory against. And I don't think we need victory in our finances. Um, so I would really, again, caution the listener and myself against viewing kind of finances as the end all be all. So we get the idea here, right? So many, if not most, are not praying for, you know, mansions and nice cars. So I definitely don't want to kind of purport that that is the prayer of the of the average person is, is they're praying for the mansions and, and the nice cars and all the, you know, tropical vacations. But most people I would think are probably praying for financial security as it pertains to finances. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So we clearly have a call to bring our our prayers and our petitions and our requests to God. Now, I would say make sure that we're doing this from a place of of honor, a place of submission to God and his will. And we want to make sure that everything that we ask for is under the the understanding that we desire that God's will would be done, knowing that his will is going to be best in the end. Um, so the good thing about this, so as, as we read this, we can bring our requests, our prayers and petitions to him, knowing that he is in complete control and that he's sovereign. So he's on the throne. The world seems chaotic to us, but not to him because he's in control over all of it. We have to be constantly reminded and remind ourselves that nothing surprises him and we need to come with Thanksgiving. So something that I like to do, um, and I'm, I'm not perfect in this, but what I try to do is as I'm going through with it, whether it's in prayer or whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm maybe experiencing a time of discontentment or something like that. I like to just write down all the things that I'm thankful for. And typically what'll happen is 
after I've been doing this exercise for 30 minutes or an hour, I just kind of get bored of it because there's so much stuff that I've now written down and just keeps going and going and going. And you realize that you could do this for hours and hours and hours on end. And it kind of puts your heart back in this posture of, of, you know, centrality in terms of like, okay, I, I get it. <laughs> I see where I, where I need to be now because, you know, we're so quick to fall into this trap of wanting more and more and more. And we get that thing that we've been clamoring for. And then we get that. And then a week later, um, you know, that thing is, has lost its shine and luster and we want something else. So I think when we take a step back and we think about all the things that we have been blessed with, ultimately salvation above all, obviously that is the greatest blessing we could ever have. But in our day-to-day lives as well, things we have been blessed with, you know, things like food, water, uh, you know, a car, a job that we can go and work and we can buy groceries, a house, an apartment, a bed, whatever it might be, you know, friendship, family, things like that. The list goes on and on. And, and I think that we need to make sure that we're coming from a place of Thanksgiving as well. So we can bring our requests to God, but it must be done in the right way. We have to have a heart of gratitude and ultimately, like I said, a desire for his will to be done and not our own. So we spend so much of our time focused on this life, our needs and desires and our goals and our dreams. And we are essentially, like I said, the beggar. We're unable to walk and we're begging for change. So we're sitting here and, and we think as the beggar that our greatest need is for our our earthly needs and wants to, to be met. So we've bought the lie that these material things will meet our need. Uh, we're so short-sighted that the only need many of us are able to see is our material needs. And we're completely unaware of our greatest need. Um, and we're going to go ahead and, and actually we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. So material needs and concerns. Um, and we've touched on this, but I'm going to go back and read this. Matthew six twenty-five through 34 says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you have little faith. And this is the key right here. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added or will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So when we go back to Acts 3, 3 through 6, we see um, this, this idea of, of the beggar. He says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Uh, this beggar was expecting to get something from them because he believed that this was his greatest need, this need for, for money to have his, his wants met. Um, However, we see here that Peter flips the script. He says, the thing that you think you need, I don't have. But what I do have is far greater than your meager request. So Peter is meeting a need so much greater than this man thought he had. Um, And when I say Peter is, I mean, God through through Peter is using Peter as as the vessel here. So this is where I begin to make the connection to us and Christ when I read the story. Again, we are the beggars. So we come to God with our requests and our petitions, you know, for financial success, promotion, status and standing, ease of life, comfortable retirement, you know, bigger house, uh, another car, better job, all those things. Um, yet our greatest need is reconciliation and peace with God. 
We need redemption because we are dead in our sins and we need life. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So we need to see for those who have placed their faith in Christ and trusted in him, we have been given the greatest gift that the world will ever know and our greatest need has been fulfilled. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with a heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. End quote. So if you fall into that category, you, you have been saved. Uh, you were the beggar pleading for scraps and Jesus has graciously offered you a gift that is so much greater than anything that you could imagine or anything that you think that you need. Um, when we compare the gift of eternal life to the quote unquote gift of something like a promotion at work, I think we'll quickly see how really that pales in comparison. Our desire for, you know, our dreams on this earth to be fulfilled and successes and uh, promotions and things like that. When we compare that to this this truth of eternal life, it kind of puts everything back into perspective and it shows us that our greatest need is so much different than what we think it is, um, you know, as, as a culture at large and, and personally as well. Um, there's nothing wrong, again, with praying for a promotion, but I do want to think about a couple key things here. Um, the first thing is, why do we want it? Uh, why do we want, you know, more money or a bigger house or a promotion, whatever it might be? Is it for God's glory so that he would be glorified so that we can be more faithful um, stewards of what he's, what he's entrusted to us and we can give more away and we can bless the lives of others and we can glorify and honor him? Or are we doing it so that we can increase our own status, our own self-worth, we can increase our pride and glorify ourselves? Um, I think when, upon first thought, obviously we all want to think that we're doing it to glorify God, but within any time of, of serious contemplation, I think we can all admit to some degree or another that we that we want these things to prop ourselves up. Um, so we have to do really some spiritual and mental gymnastics to convince ourselves that we want a bigger house so that God can be glorified. Um, it's not to say that it's impossible, but I, I would just definitely say just be very careful of that. Um, the second question is, what do we do if we don't receive the thing that we're asking for? I think that really goes back to the heart of where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The way that we react when we don't get the thing that we think we need, I think really shows where our heart and where our our desires are. Because I think if we throw a fit, then I think that shows us that that thing that we think we need or want has become an idol. So the question is, do we continue to praise God in the midst of that? Do we say, Lord, you are sovereign, your will be done. Even if you don't give me this thing that I think I want and need, I trust you because your ways are are higher and better than mine. Um, Do we thank God that his will is being done and his purpose is coming to pass? Or do we get angry at God and feel entitled? Again, our response when we do receive something, and even more so our response when we don't, 
it really says a lot about our heart and priorities. So I would just make sure to, to carefully consider that as well. And the third point here is, uh, or question is, how much time do we spend consumed with the desires of this world? Compared to our desire to see people come to a saving faith in Christ, how much time do we spend thinking about how we can make more or what we would do if we had more? So I really want to kind of just just sit in that just for a moment to think about that truly. You know, do we spend more time in our our banking apps than in our Bible apps? Do we spend more time, you know, on on Zillow than we do in our Bible apps? And really, I'm kind of just speaking from to myself now. Um, but it's really something to consider. Whatever that looks like for you, are you spending the majority of your time thinking about? You know, it doesn't even have to be money, but but whatever that thing is, something that is temporal, something that is earthly, something that in and of itself maybe isn't bad, but if we place it on the wrong priority list, it can become an idol, or are we thinking about things that are eternal? Um, so we have to truly consider what takes up the vast majority of our thoughts. Um, in Matthew 6, 21, again, says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So we have to stop and seriously consider where our treasure is. If our treasure is in the things of this world, then we are a beggar having been told to get up and walk. And after standing up and running around, we go right back to the entrance of the gate and we lay back down, sticking out our hands again, asking for money. And obviously this would be incredibly foolish, right? We've been given a gift far greater than the ability to walk. We've been given eternal life, yet so often our response is something to the effect of, okay, yeah, you know, that's great. Thanks for that. So anyway, uh, about that promotion, um, you know, we have to earnestly ask God to change our desires that we would love the things that he loves and hates the th- hate the things that he hates. Um, and that we wouldn't just desire to store up treasures on this earth, but that we would trust God to meet every single need that we have. Um, Luke 12, 16 through 21 says, then he told him a parable, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Um, jumping back into Acts 3, 7 through 8 here, um, and kind of just continue on, continuing on in this sort of verse-by-verse breakdown. Um, it says, then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. And this is the beggar. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Uh, so now we see our, our uh, my heart behind this, or, or my desire is that we would then be like this beggar, knowing that we've received a gift far greater than anything that we could ever ask for. Again, we've been given the gift of eternal life, um, the gift of eternity with our creator, our savior, our king, and our God. Uh, we don't have to fear the future. We don't have to fear man. We don't have to be consumed with the worries of this world because we can know that God will meet every single need. Again, emphasizing and underscoring the word need, not the word want, because there's nothing in scripture that says that we will receive every want or have every want fulfilled, uh, but that God will meet every single need that we have. Um, And ultimately, we don't even have to fear death because Jesus on the cross, he conquered sin and he conquered death. And we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for those who belong to Christ. Um, something that I really like is, uh, I love C.S. Lewis. The last line of the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis says, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only, had only been the cover and the title page. 
Now, at least they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before, end quote. So as a child of the living God, redeemed by the blood of Christ and reconciled to God the Father, we don't have to fear anything. Um, we should be filled with unspeakable, inexpressible joy daily, not allowing ourselves to get distracted and bogged down by the things of this world to the point where we forget that we have the greatest reason for hope and rejoicing of anyone on earth. And really, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about this, but we could win a billion dollars in the lottery and that gift would still pale in comparison to the gift of eternal life that we've been given. So I want to emphasize here that this is a free gift, but it must be received. Um, so I'm going to fire off some verses here that, the, that answer the question, um, how do we receive this gift of, of salvation? And I'll make this quick because I know that this isn't what this episode is about, but I want to make sure that in really all of these episodes that we keep the main focus and the priority at the top, and that is a proclamation of the gospel. So again, Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. John 1, 9 through 12 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. John three sixteen, we all know this one, says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John 5, 24 says, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Uh, if you have any questions about really anything that I just talked about in those verses that I just fired off, please shoot me a message on Instagram. Uh, my tag is at we are waging war. Um, shoot me a message on there. Would love to, uh, to talk to you about that. So jumping back into Acts 3, 8 through 10, and kind of wrapping up the story here, it says, so, so he jumped up and started to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. The final parallel that I see in the story is the drastic change of the man who had been healed. Uh, for so many years, he was the man who couldn't walk, and he was the one laying at the entrance of the gate begging for money. Uh, now he now now he could walk, he could leap, he could you know do all the things that the other people around him were doing, and the people were astonished because they had seen this guy day after day after day, and they saw this drastic change, not just obviously in his demeanor and you know what he was saying, but he was quite literally walking. Um, it was something that they couldn't even deny, and they even talked amongst them amongst themselves. They were talking and saying like. Isn't this the same guy that was, you know, that's been laying here at the at the gate for, you know, for all this time? Um, and continuing with this kind of parallel of us as the beggar, once we've received the gift of salvation and eternal life, our lives should look radically different, more so than if we couldn't walk and, you know, and and we were given the miracle of being able to walk. Our lives, even more so, I mean, tenfold, hundredfold, should look so radically different than before we were saved. For we were previously dead in our trespasses. And now we've been given life. So we should not, should not look like the world around us that doesn't have hope, that doesn't have joy, that doesn't have peace, and truly really has nothing to look forward to ultimately. Um, you know, the, the world likes to distract itself, right, with entertainment or, you know, with substances, whatever it might be, because ultimately we don't really want to think about what's coming because it, it scares us. The believer, the, the child of God, does not have to live that way because we've been given the gift of salvation and eternal life. Um, because of this world, 
or I'm sorry, because of this, like I said, the world chooses to numb themselves to reality, whether or not they want to admit it. And I think uh, I'm going to go to, uh, let's see, let's jump into 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 here. Uh, it says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, and this is, this is key right here. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And such were some of you. Uh, so we once walked in sin. We once begged at the gate, but may we do so no longer. Obviously, because we are sinful human creatures and we are still in a fallen world, we are going to sin. But we have been freed from the bondage and the yoke and the slavery to sin. Uh, we've been given life. And so my call to myself and to, to all of y'all is that we walk in life, no longer living in darkness, but in the light. Um, and when we live this way, the world around us, our friends, our family, our coworkers are going to see the drastic change. And they're going to be like the people in the story that saw the beggar and he's walking around. They're astonished. The people in our lives will be astonished as well. Um, and, and the world around us is going to look at us and they're going to ask us what happened. And that's going to give us a perfect opportunity to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Um, so my final kind of just call here is that is, is a desire that we would not receive the greatest gift of all and then go back to the gate to beg, um, rather that we would walk in the new life that we've been given and we would be bold in praising God for his undeserved gift of grace. Um, our hope and prayer should be that our thoughts would be consumed with things that are eternal, with Christ and, and his kingdom, and that our greatest desire would not be you know, promotions or an increase of, of wealth or financial breakthrough, whatever that looks like, but our greatest desire should be God's glory. So that's really it for today, guys. Again, if you have any questions on any of these things we discussed, please feel free to send me a message uh, on Instagram at We Are Waging War. Feel free to follow there as well. Um, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else the podcast is. And leave a review as that definitely helps the podcast reach more people. Until next time, guys, remember, he won, wage war.